Live from Tel Aviv, two nice Jewish boys. This podcast is made in cooperation with the Jewish Journal. www.jewishjournal.com Size matters, or so at least we've been told from the moment we were born. The tallest guy gets the glory on the basketball courts at school. The longest thesis at the university class stands for the quality of research and work that was put into it. A filmmaker can make 50 short films, but he'll never make it if he hasn't made a feature. And then there's literature, Ulysses, War and Peace, and even the Lord of the Rings trilogy all stand for the concept of size as a quality stamp. Edgar Carrot's career, however, has been proving just the opposite. For 30 years, Carrot has been focusing mainly on short stories, and it's safe to say that his technique and unique style has contributed a lot to the reshaping of short storytelling as an art form. Carrot's one of the most translated Israeli writers. His books have been translated to 37 languages. His short stories were adapted to international productions like Wrist Cutters or the stop animation film $9.99. Carrot has published 13 books, including short story books, comics, graphic novels, and even children's books. He won many awards, among which the Knight Medallion for Literature in France. His debut feature film that he co-created with his wife, Shira Geffen, was awarded the Golden Camera in the Cannes Film Festival, and now a new documentary film about him is being released. Today, Two Nice Jewish Boys are deeply honored to host Edgar Carrot. Subscribe to Two Nice Jewish Boys on iTunes, and if you like the podcast, don't forget to rate us. Does size matter in storytelling? Well, it's funny because in the intro, you, you talked about the, 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 the lo- longest paper or the longest dissertation is considered the, the best one. But actually, when I started studying, I, I studied math. Mm-hmm. And actually, in math, when you wanted to say about someone that is a genius, then you say, wow, you know, his PhD was eight pages long, which meant, you know, this guy didn't need to bullshit or anything. He just mm-hmm. knew how to do something people didn't know how to make before. And and I think that in exact sciences, uh, the aesthetics is a lot about uh, uh, being concise. Uh, and also, I think being, uh, uh, how do they say? My English isn't good enough. Uh, <laughs> uh, being to the point. Uh, but but also being accessible, I would say. Ah, okay. So I think let's say the, everybody knows the Pythagoras trial. Why? Uh-huh. Because unlike many, uh, do you say Pythagoras trial? Pythagoras's uh, Pythagoras theorem. So okay. everybody knows the Pythagoras theorem just for the fact that it's something that you can explain to a six years old. Most of the things in math you can't explain even to a high school graduate. Yeah. So the idea is that if you can do something that is short and that in a sense people get it then this is as good as it gets. So I guess that for me, kind of liking mathematics, it, I, I was always aiming for that. I was trying to, to kind of, to, not to exclude readers, mm-hmm. not to write kind of texts that, you know, that if you haven't re- read uh, Foucault, then you wouldn't understand the terminology. At the same time, uh, uh, to write things in, in, as shortest for, in the shortest form I can. I think in writing, there's also a certain value to being, uh, you know, to brevity and to being concise, meaning, well, I mean, there's certain authors that, that, you know, are long winded and go on and on with descriptions, but there's, 
a certain value to like getting an idea across in in a few words if you can get a whole picture in like three or four words then there's a certain wow effect to that well well i actually think that most of the great art uh, writers uh, actually uh, the talent was in this ability to get into the depth of thing and to write you know to write five pages on a glass about a glass a glass of water yeah and to write five pages about a glass of water you have to find new things a new association and go with it and basically like you know i love uh, herman melville you know so when mm-hmm. you read moby dick you know it's an anything but short yeah but i think that but i think that there is something about about uh, let's say pe- the, the attraction to minimalism uh, is almost like an instinct you know mm-hmm. I, i have a text that kind of compares writing to an asthmatic i'm asthmatic mm-hmm. and you know and the idea is that when you have an asthmatic and you need to communicate things to people you need to do it really really quickly because you don't have enough air before you die yeah, yeah but you don't have enough air for a long sentence you know so So basically it's, it's almost kind of an art of expressing yourself when you have an asthmatic for example if you want to say to people you know go and get me my inhaler but it's okay I don't need to go to the hospital then if you can do it in, yeah. a, in a way if you can if people can un- understand you really quickly without you needing to breathe a lot you know then then you've made it and the uh, and I think that with me there was also some, was always something that you know as a reader I actually I like I loved novel. But when it came to expressing myself, I always felt that whatever I was writing, I could, I could do it shorter and I could be more precise. So when you write, you look at it a little bit like mm, math, the process of writing, do you use in your head some kind of equations or I don't know, you know what I mean? Yeah, well, well first of all, you know, I think that, that uh, people have given math bad names, you know, I can say, it, you know, I never... He's the son of a mathematician, so... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He wouldn't guess it, though, <laughs> from my grades in high school. <laughs> no, but, 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 but I, I think that what you really study in, in high school, you know, it's not really math in the spirit of it. I think that, you know... I was never very good at math and I, I didn't study a lot of math, but it's something that is very, very creative and innovative and uh, and it, and basically you know when pe- people who get you to places you you t- never been before, you know you get you there by being original and you know and thinking out of the box so we, so it's not really like I think people think that math is taking a lot of numbers and adding them one to each other yeah this, this is has nothing to do with math uh, but I think that the uh, the way that I write is actually a uh, I think the best metaphor I have for writing is uh, you know they have this kind of thing called the trust falls when the When sometimes couples co- go to a treatment then mm-hmm. they ask one of them you know to close his eyes fall backward and you know and his wife's supposed to catch him and then his wife does the same so I think that for me writing is very much like this it's, it's basically actually letting go not being in control at all kind of closing your eyes and falling back and hoping that some story will catch you and I think that many times when I write stories basically you know I can write for a few hours and then I look at it and it doesn't make any sense. because you because I I think that usually the starting point is this kind of place where where there is something that you cannot articulate in words but that you you feel that you find 
found something that would kind of symbolize it or something that will, you know, that will be kind of a, a, a gateway to that thing that you cannot put in words. And then you say, okay, it's a little bit like, you know, this dog that he tries to lick his balls, but then a car hits it. Yeah, it's something like that. And then <laughs> you start writing it. And, and basically, in the end, if you find yourself where you fought, or where you could imagine you'll be in the beginning, then it's not a good story. I think a good story, ha- uh, by definition, has to be a story that surprises you when you write it. So Especially the get... short ones. Yeah. You're always looking for... You have a... to get lost. You have to get lost, it. but then you usually when you watch short films or read short stories, you expect this impact at the end, that this punch punch somehow is expected to be bigger i don't know how to explain it but. yeah yeah well, well, well you know i think i think that when i began writing stories there was something about the about the, the way that the stories had flowed that many times they really they had a, some kind of a a point or a punch or a twist ending and the, there was something about it because when when you write you want to communicate and there was something about it that i felt that it kind of took some of the weight off the shoulders of the reader because when you write something and it reaches this kind of a surprise ending you say haha that's why I read it for and I think that that uh, this kind of wrapping is something that you usually don't have in real life in real life usually you go for an experience and you try to process it and it didn't have a punch you didn't get it in the end you got this in the end you got surprised surprised you know you found yourself in in a place you wouldn't think you're gonna be but but you you kind of keep on thinking and I think that very quickly I started writing those kind of a point stories without a point in the end or a punch stories without a punch in the end that, that basically kind of take you through a trip but put you in a place that as a reader you need to bring something from yourself you know for some closure and and you know both of you were were film students and you know and I think that in Israel in Tel Aviv m- m- many student films are based uh, on s- stories of mine yes and it's amazing how you can see two adaptations of the same story for example I have a story called Crazy Glue and I saw two adaptations and one of them was a romantic comedy and the other was a horror film <laughs> and, and they send you the films yes yes and and I think and I think that the, the idea is that basically when you write this kind of short text you you actually ask the reader to bring more f- from himself you know so the, the idea is that if I wrote a story about a strange relationship between a man and a woman and one person could read it and say oh my god so it's so beautiful it's so romantic it's so funny and another guy say it's horrible somebody calls the police you know then you Then basically it means that each of them brought something you know of their of, of their own experience or it reminds me of the film uh, Melinda Melinda which is Woody uh, Allen Woody yeah. Allen is it a Woody Allen film yeah because he's in the beginning and there's a conversation yeah, happening yeah, around a table and yeah, they're yeah. discussing from which angle to tell a story and they tell the exact same story as a tragedy and as a comedy and it's fascinating to watch it kind of unfold. But, but but I think uh, but I think that let's say uh, if we look at relationship you know, as an example so for example there is something uh, uh, irrational 
in relationships. That's the idea about love, you know, you love something because you cannot explain it. If you say, you know, I live with my girlfriend because she cooks really great and she cleans the floors and she makes more money than I do and she let me sleep late, it's not, it's not love. You Sounds know? like love to me. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to cut that out. <laughs> I just moved in with my girlfriend, so we're going we're gonna to cut that out. <laughs> no, but I, I, you're, you're totally right. So, so there's something about love that it's something that you cannot explain. And, and it makes sense that this kind of thing will both be very romantic but also very scary. Yeah. You know, so, so, so the idea is that if you say this is a couple in love and one guy will say, oh, it's so beautiful. Another will say, oh my God, this is fucking crazy. You know, then, then they're both right. And I think that, uh, I think that when you write actually very short texts in which kind of the, the reader needs to bring his own uh, descriptions, uh, his own uh, uh, sense of the character, because everything is very kind of bare. You know, it's like you move to an apartment and you have to bring your own furniture. Then the readings can go to many different uh, 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 places, and I basically feel that kind of me and the reader we're kind of partners, you know, and that's yeah. uh, and that's uh, that's something that I kind of aim for, you know. I really don't don't want uh, my reader to be very very passive, and I don't don't want to fill his head with details that I don't think that, that are necessary. Uh-huh. So you're talking about like how you think about your reader and how you think about his reaction to the story. I wanted because you also spoke about uh, to write is to communicate. When we write, we communicate, and I'm just wondering what it is that brings you to, or what it is that brought you originally. I mean, now I guess you're kind of stuck in it, and you're like, "Well, I'm a writer. That's what pays the bills." <laughs> but what brought you originally to write? What was what was the uh, drive? The drive, yeah, yeah. Well, first of all, you know, I think I'm kind of a professor in university and that's what pays the bills and and even if i like you know there's something about writing that i i cannot even associate a uh, writing uh, with a uh, with being a profession because there is something about it that uh, i i'm so much not in control when i write mm-hmm. that i think that there's something about the profession like you know i mean if you if you you say you're a plumber and every time you go to a client's house, you start kind of dancing around the, his toilet, hoping that something will happen. Then you know, then y- you're not a professional, you yeah. know. And I think, and I think that there sewage is, is like poetry. <laughs> no, it's this, <laughs> this idea that I really think that uh, when it comes to writing, I really think that I'm an amateur, and I like the fact that I'm an amateur. You know, I think that uh, when I taught uh, creative writing in the U.S., then. Uh, a lot of my students kind of brought up the concept of the well-written story. Uh-huh. And I said to them, I want to introduce to you the concept of the badly written good story. Because most of the m- most fascinating and emotionally grabbing stories that, that I heard in my life were from people who were not very articulate, mm-hmm. and but that they were very passionate about what they wanted to say. So I think that, that, uh, that you know, that... Uh, if there's anything that I can bring to writing is the fact that, you know, that I have this great passion about trying to put in words things that I completely don't understand, you know, and it's not about any technique. I really believe that, you know, that there are many people who, like, I, you know, I never studied uh, seriously. I never studied the uh, literature. Uh-huh. Uh, 
I, but why do you why are you sitting down to write that story is it to is it to understand things that you don't understand like you totally. said or is it is it i don't know uh uh defense I, what what is the where, politics when you, political when do you find yourself sitting down in front of your table what is the what is the moment before is what i'm saying not the desire to tell the story but what is the moment before that brings you to say okay i need a i need to write now it well you know with me i always sit down to write when there's something i i need to write i it's not that i have, like i don't write any every day you know i don't have any writing routine whatsoever i just write when i feel like writing and i can tell you that i think that the first story not that i've written you know the first story i've written i was 19 years old but the first story i've kind of made up was i think when i was six years old and i walked home from my school and on the way i saw a a a, a, a female soldier and this guy who seemed a little bit older and the guy was smiling and he kind of leaned and he whispered something in her ear sexual and, harassment sexual <laughs> harassment no they were very intimate oh, they okay. knew each other he just said something to her and then uh, she punched him really hard and started crying and walked away and basically from the i saw it just kind of outside my school and i had to walk for 15 minutes to get home so by the time i re i got home i told myself you know uh, uh, their brother and sister and the brother he steals money from the parents wallet and the sister she kind of he demands that she'll be loyal to her but he puts her in a tough spot and today she said to him like i'm not going to do it anymore you know if you're going to touch their money again i'm going to tell our parents you know and and so I think the reason that I did that was that it was very difficult for me to kind of deal with the arbitrariness of life. I said that like, it couldn't be that people are punching each other and crying and that it doesn't make sense. So writing, I think, one aspect of it is trying to put some sense to the, uh, to the life around you. So I think that, you know, I always have the, the desire to write about things that I really don't understand. Uh -huh. If I can figure out something, if I can explain it to you, then I'll never write a story about it, you know, I, yeah. I, it's done. But if there's something that I really can't uh, deal with, and, and, and you know, and it's funny because my best friend, his name is Uzi, he's named after the machine gun, his parents <laughs> were very patriotic, and so they named, no, it's seriously. Wow. Uh, and uh, and uh, with him, then there is something that a lot of the stuff that he does is totally not normative, but he's still my friend and I like him and a lot of my stories are basically trying to figure out how I can, for example, you know, I have a story, uh, I, don't, I don't know if I say the name correctly in English, but it's something lately, actually lately I've been having some phenomenal hard-ons. Okay. And in the story, the, the, the guy in the story, he has this thing that uh, uh, whenever he wakes up in the morning, uh, his dog licks his balls, uh, and his <laughs> wife is very unhappy about it. And he says to her, "But it's it's not sexual. It's like you know, he, he doesn't like he doesn't want to have sex with me. We just kind of he likes me, and for him, like uh, licking my balls is a little bit like uh, shaking my hand or licking a, the dew out of a, of a leaf." You know, <laughs> it's really something like, you know, it's like it's friendship. Like, I don't want to have sex with him, with it. I don't think 
it wants to have sex with me, just, you know, it dogs, like, what will it give me, foot massage, you know? He can <laughs> lick stuff, so he licks my balls, you know, so what? <laughs> and, and, the, and this is an actual uh, part of a conversation with, between Uzi and... Uh, and his ex-wife like when she was still his wife you know <laughs> that's so, why uh, I, I wonder no 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 it, it, actually, to an end. it actually had, had nothing to do with <laughs> that really? it actually had nothing to do with that but but the fact is so here's this guy he went with me to kindergarten I like him a lot you know he's one of the closest person people to me and and, uh, and he has this strange relationship with his dog and I believe him when he says it's not sexual but at the same time I I don't think it's very normative when your dog leaks your balls. <laughs> and uh, and uh, I'm kind of like, you know, I really don't know what I you're think about you're it. You're in the limbo here. here. It's the limbo. And, and uh, in the story, uh, in the end, uh, his dog uh, is actually an alien. And, uh, and basically... He, uh, really? In the story? Yeah, he explains to, to the guys that uh, the whole idea about, uh, about uh, humanity is that it was some experiment... made by the aliens and the experiment didn't work but they discovered that they, that uh, they can uh, save a lot of taxes if they keep it running because it's kind of like this losing business that it's good for other things that they're doing that actually are doing very well <laughs> and the dog is some kind of a representative of those aliens to, just to, to figure out you know because every year they have to is that kind of an accountant or something <laughs> but why does he lick the balls <laughs> Yeah, so we... <laughs> no, no explanation. No, no, it's like... like <laughs> yeah, the, I just like it. No, the, 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 the truth about it is that when he kind of talks, you know, when he starts talking about humanity and about what he thinks, like you say, you know what, how about you just lick my balls and shut up, you know? <laughs> it's really... This is too heavy, this stuff, you know? I liked it, you better when you didn't speak and you licked my balls, you know? So so maybe it's it's not kind of like... It's not that I write and I have this kind of epiphany that now I understand uh-huh. things, but I write and it kind of... It's a little bit of a conscience stream. Yeah, Con- completely. Stream right. of conscience. Stream of conscience. Yeah, but with stream of conscience, when you go with it, it can be conscience stream, you know. It's, that's, yeah. Uh, stream of consciousness. <laughs> stream of consciousness. Yeah. yeah stream um, of conscience is... It would be like right and wrong. Right, right. I don't think your dog, ball-licking dogs would come out if you had stream of conscience. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's like, like good cup and bad cup. So it's like uh, the, ones, the one who, who really speaks English and exactly. the other guy. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, that's, you nailed it. That's our secret. Um, but you know what boggles me, Edgar, is that your stories, I mean... A lot of them, not all of them, not the one we're about to read, but others, they feel so Israeli. And of course, you write them in Hebrew. And yet they had such tremendous success all over the world. And I wonder how it happened, because, you know, when I read, especially when I read the earlier stuff, it feels so detached from anything outside of this country. Yeah, no, I, right? I agree with you. I agree with you. And I think, by the way, that, uh, that uh, I, this didn't change a lot. You know, I'm, ba- basically, I, I just uh, talked uh, to my son and he asked me in ha- how many apartments did I live in my life. And I said to him that I lived in six apartments. I'm 50 years old. That's not a lot. And the... Uh, And the, the distance, the furthest distance between any of those apartments that I've lived in is uh, four kilometers. You, you know, it's like two and a half miles. It's, uh, so, 
So sometimes when I speak overseas, I say I'm like Immanuel Kant, only without the brains, you know, because <laughs> because I lived all my life in kind of this same area. Like you know, I I, I usually ate in the same places, you know, drank my coffee in the same places. So so I think that uh, that there is something very very local about me. But I think that there is something about it that because uh, uh, the, the, my stories usually don't need with uh, don't deal with social structure. They're a little bit like you know, it's like kind of a guy sitting in a room and picking his nose and say, "Whoa, imagine if I could never take out my finger out of my nose." You know, so so, so I'm saying so it's basically like it's like not a, a close up; it's in a super extreme close up. And when you get into somebody's nostril, then it, it seems that it doesn't matter if you're in China, Australia, or Korea, we all have the same kind of nostril if you close yeah, in right. close enough to it. And I really feel that there is something about my stories that uh, that it's not like you know that I write story about uh, Tel Aviv in the early '50s. You know, I write a story about a guy who can't find. Yeah, the key, you know, to maybe it's less so the stories, but the characters are very Israeli. For sure. So, so maybe that's what, but maybe that's what appeals to people. Maybe they find it, I don't know, exotic or very because it's so different from a European guy or an American guy. The, the way your characters talk and act. For sure, like there is something very much kind of in your face. You know, they're very blunt, and I think that you know when, when they they published the first review about. Uh, one of my books overseas then the the uh, reviewer the critic he kind of ma- made the list of all kinds of fantastic an- elements in my stories uh, so it was like you know there is this kind of a, an angel who can't fly a, a speaking fish or something like this you know in the list he said the uh, civilians walking around the street carrying firearms <laughs> which is something that is very Israeli you know people People like they have a pistol with a license because maybe there will be a terrorist like and he says everybody uh, stops what they're doing every full hour to listen to the news which is something that we don't have these days so much because of the internet so we don't have to wait for an hour you, But you still yeah. have it if you're in the car listening to the radio every uh, the, the every, news yeah. the news every hour you know when you're in a bus sometimes you know the driver would put the right the, and he this. thought it was like dystopian or fantastic yes yes and and i think that's that amazing. and i think that, that the idea is that that the some stuff that you know when you read somebody says uh, this is really grotesque and you say no actually it's my life you know mm-hmm. and that's the israeli story <laughs> so speaking, up until now speaking of grotesque <laughs> yeah but it's actually your life let's an let's excerpt read a story from a book um a short story. this story is called hemorrhoid Just to, you know, get it off to a good start. <laughs> hemorrhoid. This is a story of a man who suffered from a hemorrhoid. Not a lot of hemorrhoids, a single solitary one. This hemorrhoid started out small and annoying, but very soon it became medium-sized and irritating, and in less than two months, it grew to be big and really painful. The man continued to live his life as usual. He worked long hours, every day took time off on the weekends, And fucked on the side whenever he had the chance. But this hemorrhoid, which was clinging to a vein, kept reminding him at every long meeting or through every painful bowel movement that to live is to suffer, to live is to sweat, to live is an ache you can't fucking forget. And so, before every important decision, the man would listen to his hemorrhoid, the way others listen to their conscience. And the hemorrhoid, like any hemorrhoid, would give the man some asshole advice. 
advice on whom to fire, advice on aiming higher, advice on whether to pick a fight, and with whom he should conspire. And it worked. With every passing day, the man became more and more successful. The earnings of the company he ran kept growing, and so did the hemorrhoid. It reached a point where the hemorrhoid outgrew the man, and even then it didn't stop, until eventually it was the hemorrhoid that was chairman of the board. And sometimes, when the hemorrhoid took its seat on the chair in the boardroom, it found the man underneath a little irritating. This is the story of a hemorrhoid that suffered from a man. The hemorrhoid continued to live its life as usual. It worked long hours every day, took time off on weekends, and fucked on the side whenever it had the chance. But this man, who was clinging to a vein, kept reminding him at every long meeting or painful bowel movement that to live is to yearn, to live is to burn, to live is to fucking screw up and wait for fate to turn. And the hemorrhoid would listen to the man, the way people listen to their stomach when it rumbles and asks for food, passively but acceptingly. And thanks to this man, the hemorrhoid tried to believe it could live and let live. It could learn to forgive. It could conquer its urge to look down on others. And even when it swore, it didn't mention people's mothers. And so thanks to the irritating little man under him, everyone came to value the hemorrhoid. Hemorrhoids, people, and of course, the company satisfied shareholders all around the world. So that's that's amazing. And I, I I mean just to 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 uh go back to what you were saying before in relation to this story, you focus in so much that something so so local per se or so uh, close up, something so magnified becomes universal that everybody can relate to because everybody's had hemorrhoids. Um, you know, presumably. But <laughs> but yeah, you, it's funny, you know, because I had an event in in American University and uh, w- when I did the Q&A, somebody said, uh, how did you write the story? And I said, well, you know, one day I was kind of just, you know, going over the internet and I, I, I looked at the Wikipedia entry of hemorrhoids and I read it, you know, and I found it fascinating, the kind of concept of hemorrhoids. And the guy says, really? I said, no, I have hemorrhoids, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, it, it's, it, it's amazing how, though, that you take something like that and you write a story about it, and in the end, you get something that's so jam-packed with meaning. I mean, to me, it seems like, it seems like, and maybe that's what you were talking about before, that it leaves room for the reader to, to develop his own interpretation, but there seems like so much in this one page that's about a hemorrhoid that takes over a man, and I mean, I, I find it fascinating how even though you you are you know, talking about the seemingly most meaning, menial thing, it becomes, you know, something with that, that has a lot more meaning to it. Is that something intended or is that... No, no you know, when I, when I speak to my students, I, I always say that, you know, that a good story has to be smarter than the person who had written it, you know, because if it's as smart, then, then you're, you're a clockmaker, you know, mm-hmm. you're, you're not uh, an artist. I think... Uh, I think that when I wrote the story, I think I was mostly frustrated and, and angry because I had an hemorrhoid and, you know, it burns like hell. And I was like a- angry and I didn't know what to do with it. And I wrote the story. And I think there was something in the story which m- many times I find in my stories and I wish I would find more in my life that kind of the story said, you know what, but uh, like you, if if the... If the if you, 
the hemorrhoid can't make you any nicer because you seem to be really angry and impatient. As maybe you can make the hemorrhoid nicer. Maybe you can, you know, if it's a negative influence, <laughs> how about you be a positive influence? You know, and that's, that was kind of a, an advice that the story gave me. And, you know, and it's funny because uh, when I wrote my first story when I was in the army, when I was 19, it's called Pipes. And it's a story about a guy who's really unhappy in his life. And he builds a, a pipe in a very old shape and crawls through it and re- reaches another world in which things make more sense. And when I look back at the story, the story was kind of an advice for me to say, like, this word doesn't make any sense for you. How about you find a word that will make sense to you? Like, how about you write a hundred more stories like this one that you're writing now, you know? Mm. So it's basically the, the first story I've written, if it gave me any advice, it was to write stories, you know? That's amazing. And when I wrote that story, I actually thought that it's the only story I'm going to write in my life. But when I kind of reread it, I said, oh, yeah, maybe I'll write another one. What you know? made you write it? Uh, well, it's, it's kind of heavy, but it was kind of a death of somebody really close to me. And uh, I was in the army and my best friend killed himself. And, uh, and it was kind of my way of basically saying to myself, I guess when I wrote the story, I didn't know why I was writing it, you know. But, but I think that it was kind of saying to myself, you can find a way to a place that will make some kind of an emotional sense to you, you know? Right. And, uh, and I think that, that this is really something that happened to me with uh, many of my stories. Uh, I think that, that you know, when, when I became a father, I, I started writing many stories about the uh, about, uh, relationship between uh, father and children. Actually, I wrote stories about relationship between father and children before that, but it, they were always from the child's point of view. But as a parent, it kind of turned and I wrote them from a parent's point of view. And it kind of made me acknowledge many things that I was totally unaware of. You know, I have a story called Teamwork. And in this story, it's a story about a, a, a divorced couple. And the father takes their kids to some kind of playground. And allegedly, mm-hmm. he beats up a girl that is older than his kids that picked on his child. So let's say, you know, the, the, the child was doing something and she came she pushed him she pinched him and allegedly he punched her and uh, and there was something about the story that uh, you know in the story he denies because they've joined custody and he's afraid that he loses custody but when you read the story you know that he did it you know you don't have a lot of doubt about it mm-hmm. and I thought like why did I write, write the story and there was something about writing the story that I, I I became aware of the fact that basically every time I go to a playground and a kid picks up on my child, you know, and usually there are older kids, you know, and then like my, my reflex is, I really, I want to get up, you know, and, and kick them in the face and say, how does it feel when somebody bigger than you beat the shit out of you, huh? you bleeding child, you know, <laughs> and, and, and that there is this, and the side of me is really, I never acknowledged it before I wrote the story. And when I wrote the story, I think that there is, this freedom of kind of uh, saying, you know what, I kind of have all kinds of uh, emotions and fears and yearning. And in real life, kind, you know, I keep myself, you know, I, uh, let's say I, I, if I go and I don't know, and I see a girl smiling at me, then I say, oh, girl smiling at me. Yeah, I'm a married man. Yeah, goodbye girl, you know. But when I write a story, I can write about having an affair while being married. And actually, like, I wrote quite a few stories like that somehow always the guy who cheats kind of ends really badly so 
maybe that just to I, remind yourself yeah yeah so <laughs> and i don't i don't think that it's kind of a a, a morality decision is just basically i think that there is something many times i think about the idea of cheating is it at the moment it seems like a great idea <laughs> but when you go and say hey, yeah but actually it kind of leads to some kind of paradox because i actually also love my wife and you know and yeah. both of them are unhappy with the fact that you know so so, so it's kind of a therapy that you let yourself play it out yeah yeah and i think that you know there is a lot of a uh, violence in my stories and i'm and i think like i'm not a, a i'm not exercising violence in my life you know i may be sometimes angry or pissed or i don't know but 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 uh, but in the bottom line when i write these stories i i kind of let myself uh, uh, expose emotions that when you, you write them kind of in fiction they are not really connected to anything <clears throat> your action don't don't have any collateral damage and i think mm-hmm. that there is something about those processes that that kind of actually helped me keep some kind of balance and maybe even know myself a little better a question from our audience tamara asks uh, where do you gather inspiration from these days and have you exhausted the possibilities that exist in tel aviv that in tel aviv for inspiration Well, I think you know it, that it's funny because one of the most common questions that I'm being asked when I go travel overseas, you know, then people say, hey, "So now that you've been here, are you going to write a story about Singapore?" And I, <laughs> and I, I say that you know there is something I think about stories. You know, sometimes you can write a story about something that happened to you 15 years ago, and suddenly, kind of you. You retell something to somebody and you have this image and you can't take it out of your head and you write it. But in the end, I think that because I write in such kind of a micro level, I never wrote anything about a city. I wrote a story about this guy that I met, about this uh, uh, cat that peed on my shoe or... But you said, you said earlier that you're always dwelling in the same two or three streets in Tel Aviv, sitting yeah. in your coffee. You must be observing... Oh, right. I, I do it and all, I hunting do it for inspiration or ideas no I well you know with me I'm really like you know it's kind of resent I resent the term let's say writer's block okay I, because I think that when when people talk about the writer's blocks and they say based the normal situation is the one in which you write and I actually you know when I published my first book I said you know I'm not sure I'm gonna write publish another one And you know when I pu- published my second one I say well you know I probably I won't, I'll never do the third one and then I went and did a movie you know and then I w- went and did the musical and then I say ah okay maybe I'll do the third one <laughs> so there, there is something about it that that I think that the the taking writing for granted is is strange for me because for me writing is a little bit like when somebody gives you a present you know so you, you can't work at getting presents unless you are prime minister you know <laughs> it's really but it works well for him so I mean, maybe that's one way to do things yeah maybe maybe it's also something but, but but i'm saying so you can say wow it would be great if somebody would give me a present but if somebody doesn't give you a present it doesn't mean that it's a bad day and i think that you know that for most of my life i worked in odd jobs i did many things you know I, I looked for all kinds of human interactions you know uh, and uh, and 
among those things I would write and I would be like if you would say would you want to write uh, more stories and I say yeah sure because you know it's like it's like would you like to have more sex or smoke more pot like why not you know so <laughs> so but it's but what I have is really like is is more than enough you know it's okay so if a few months I don't uh, write the stories and it doesn't mean that I won't go to the beach or play with my son or... so the, I mean there are definitely writers out there who would argue that you know you have to have this writer's discipline that you have to wake up every morning or every night sit down for four hours and write right 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 otherwise you're just never gonna hone your skills and you're never gonna get to that place or do you think that that's another way that you can go about writing for sure for sure or, or do you completely resent the idea of no no I, I don't resent it I first of all I want to say is that I think that people write for different reasons you know for example you know I, I mean many some people write because they have some truths or values that they want to share with you uh, other people write because they, they feel that they don't control their life and they want to create a universe in which they control things you know there, there are like hundreds of reasons why people write and I think that also the way that they write is different and Actually, I, I, I know like uh, many writers talk about this kind of agricultural patience that you need for writing, which means you get up in the morning, you write one sentence, then you throw it away, but eight years from now, you're going to have a masterpiece, you know? And, and, the, and I, I admire that, you know, but, but, I think, but I think that for me, writing has an, another function. You know, I think it it has a, it it has a, this kind of function for me. There is something about writing is like time off from life. You know, when I have to to work, when I have to go to I don't know to pay my bills in the bank, or when I have to, to it's really I'm stressed. Like you know, and I think that it's always like this idea is that you know that I, I I'm gonna hurt somebody's feeling. I'm gonna fuck up. I'm gonna tear a new hole in the ozone layer. I'm gonna do something. I don't know. I don't know. Or a bus will run me over. Something's gonna happen. When I sit down and write, this feeling of being weightless, saying, you know, now my character is gonna uh, torch the the carpet in his living room. Or no consequences or, for you, or for for any or any for anyone. Anyone. So or, some people go to the bar and drink themselves silly, and some, some play video games. Play video mm-hmm. games, and others do a whole bag of coke. And you write to blow off steam. Yeah, completely, and and also kind of, <laughs> kind of totally, kind of to relax, you know, to yeah, to, yeah, f- yeah. to feel like and it's escapism. It, it, it's it's I I think you know again you know every, there's always opposites. So I think if you escape far enough, you're dead in the center of things. Right. Mm. I have to ask you, Edgar, about the carrot house. Yeah, I'm in Warsaw. In Warsaw, what's what's the deal with that place? <laughs> so. The, the the short version is that there, there is this Polish architect that uh, uh, had decided uh, to build me a house in the proportion of my stories, which means that it would be like the the narrowest uh, space possible uh, to the uh, to define as a house that will be fully functional, that you have a shower and a bed and a kitchen and everything, and. Uh, and he kind of he pulled it off like when he it sounded when he, he, he spoke and he tried to communicate with me it sounded like kind of a joke <laughs> like he a just, prank 
got a message from him. I want to build you the narrowest no, house. He, he called and he had this very heavy Polish accent. <laughs> and it sounded like one of my friends said, you know, it's not even funny. Like, you know? and, uh, and in the end, he was this real guy, really talented guy. That he's an architect, but it doesn't really see any sense in just kind of building houses that people live in. He just does strange things, you know, and uh-huh. strange constructions that... It basically are functional, but at the same time, they kind of, they're a little bit like kind of sculptures or something. And they, mm-hmm. I was lucky enough that he made this house for me. Is there someone living there now? No, it's a, actually... You can, Airbnb. It's $100 <laughs> and it's yours. <laughs> it's a, actually, it's open for residencies all the time. So people li- live there on, on residencies. Ah, okay. And, and if nobody lives there, I can stay there when I'm in Warsaw. Ah, that's, that's your... Uh uh what's it called you you get that privilege yeah to stay there when oh that's cool it's his it's your place no no it's it doesn't belong to me like i can't sell it okay it's a foundation but i see and it and so it is like writers go there to to write yeah it's not only writers or i think people who have projects in warsaw in the beginning they had all kinds of defined topics let's say if you're doing something about a void you know i don't know Uh uh-huh but now i think that every person who just wants it's really cool yeah really cool place like you guys got to check it out on the internet there are photos and you are there doing stuff it's super cool before we go what what are you doing can you tell us right now is there something in the works are you uh i'm always kind of uh, doing a lot of things but but many of them you know i i never complete them it's one no <coughs> and it's a funny thing because uh, i really enjoy uh, doing things but but uh, but sometimes i don't know it's it's like sometimes it's f- things that are fun to do but are not necessarily fun to publish or to execute so among the things i'm doing now i'm working with my wife we're rewriting a tv series mm-hmm. that uh, uh, originally we wanted to do an israel tv but i think everybody thought it was too weird so we we're uh, writing it for arte in france and we're supposed to direct it uh, and it's called together uh, so in english it's called the middleman okay in hebrew uh, in hebrew it's called ametavech but but in french it has a different name it's like basically it means that, you know when you have a a super uh-huh so, superintendent yeah so in french it means like a uh, the man the man who's good at everything because he's supposed uh-huh. to like the handyman the, the, the handyman the okay, handyman okay. so it's a little bit but in french it sounds much more kind of grammar so as everything yeah <laughs> so it's kind of the more the handyman because it's this because it's a it's about a a, a real estate agent that can travel in time ah so in the past he's the handyman of the building that he owns in the present you know so it's ah, kind of okay cool I thought he would go to the past and invest in real estate. <laughs> in Tel Aviv. He knows it's going to be worth something. He's going to buy shorts on a, a land in Atlantis. You know? <laughs> yeah. Or in Natania and then sell it to <laughs> in the present. Um, but but cool. I'm doing... I'm, uh, and there is a, a new collection of short stories that I've just completed and I'm editing and I'm working on another TV series with a, with a friend of mine that is actually it's kind of like a... a it's a detective but uh, all kind of, but kind of supernatural very cool. awesome sounds and very prolific so Edgar Carrot your books uh, are translated to English of course you can find them on Amazon 
we'll post links. And there's a new documentary, which we didn't have time to mention, right? But it's called... Uh, Edgar Carrot, uh, based on a true story. And is it um, screening in the States or will no. it be on Netflix at a certain mm. point or anything like that? I, I hope. I don't really know. Like, I didn't make the film just about me, but I think that right now it screens in Australia. Okay. But uh, but I I hope it will reach the state. Stay tuned. You have a Facebook page, Edgar Carrot, on Facebook, and I guess yeah. when there will be screenings in the states, you'll post something. There. Yeah, they actually they have a better a better page. Oh, they have a page. Yeah, which is which is Edgar Carrot based on a true story. Edgar Carrot, thank you so much. It was beautiful. A real pleasure. Thank yeah, you. Real pleasure. Thanks. Thanks.